Good morning. Hi, I'm Pastor Chris, and welcome to week number 10 of Online Church. As I talked to you about at the beginning of our service, we're going to be together soon, really soon, sometime in the next few weeks. We're not going to get to week number 20, I can tell you that, but I'm excited that you're here this morning. We've had a chance to to, to grow closer together through this time. Uh, there's, there's been amazing advancement in our church while we've been in quarantine, and I want you to thank God with me for that. We've got a chance to, to really make some memories, some things that are going to move into our new adventures once we relaunch here soon. And so we're so excited to be able to go through this time with you. I'll tell you, some of my earliest memories in my life come from celebration events, like, like birthdays. You know, you're, you're, you try and be really good that month leading up to your birthday so that you make sure that you get some sort of, of presents, right? That you could tear open all the boxes after your friends come over and you're having a birthday party. And birthdays, are, they're, they're memorable. They're exciting, right? Now, I don't know about you. But there were some birthday gifts that I was not excited to get. Now, when you're eight years old and you start opening up a box, it's like this, okay? The box is like this, this wide and it's about that tall. And you open it up and it's a white box from JCPenney's and you're eight years old and you open it up and it's a pair of pants, right? Or you know what else I really couldn't stand when I was a kid? Birthday cards. Birthday. Unless it's one of those cards that you open and it plays music or something pops out like money. Like birthday cards, they're, they're just on top of the gift and mom makes you read them before you get into the gift and you got to thank grandma. Thank you, grandma, for the birthday card. You don't care about the birthday card. Birthday cards are, birthday cards are dumb. Like, well, when you're eight, right? But looking back at the birthdays when I was a kid, I don't know that I could tell you exactly any of the gifts that I received. I don't know. Maybe the first 14 years of my life, I, I don't really know what it was that I received for my birthday. But I want to tell you something that I do remember. It was about 1989 or 1990. And I remember there was a new family that started to come to our church, the Tyson family. Their oldest daughter I knew from, of course, Wednesday nights at church, and she was a couple of years ahead of me at school, but I, but I knew her from school, and, and she had a brother that was about my, my brother's age, a little bit younger than I am. And the family, as I remember, didn't really have much. There were some people in our church who gathered together, and they pooled some money together to buy some gifts for Christmas for the family, and a few days before Christmas, my father took my brother and myself, put us in a truck, and drove us over to the neighborhood where the Tysons lived. My dad had parked his truck a couple of houses down, and it was the job of me and my brother to take these gifts. It's nighttime, by the way. Take these gifts, quietly drop them off of the porch, and run. So we got out of the truck, my brother and I, and as quietly as we could, we walked up the driveway. And we get to the front porch, and we put these gifts down, and we're shaking, and you reach up, and you 
push the doorbell, bing, and you run. And you start booking out of there and down the street. And about the time that we're at the driveway, I can hear the door open at the house. But we don't even turn around to look back. We head to the truck. We're out of breath by the time we get to the truck. And then I hear the, the, the wheels kind of peel out and the gravel that's on the side of the road as we head back down towards our neighborhood. The next week, that Wednesday night youth group and church service, the Tyson family shows up, just as normal that they do on Wednesday night. Typically at church on Wednesday night, us youth and kids, we would go hang out outside of the back building and just kind of play out there in the parking lot. And we were all gathered on some steps and just kind of talking and hanging out. And Jessica, the oldest daughter, she walks up with this beautiful sequined vest. Jessica told the story about how one night that her and her family, about a few days before, were sitting around their house, and they heard a ring at the doorbell. And she told a story about how her dad got up, and he walked to the door and opened up the door, and he saw presents out on the patio. He brought these presents in, and he could tell somebody just dropped off presents for his family. And one of these presents inside this box was this beautiful sequined vest that Jessica fell in love with and she was so proud of. Her brother had received a remote control car. And I remember he said that he wanted to bring it to church that night, but his mom wouldn't let him. For the first 14 years of my life, I don't think I remember any of the gifts that I received for my birthday. But I do remember gifts that I was part of giving. See, giving of that gift and those gifts to that family has left a lasting impression on my soul. It's left a memory that stays with me, that has stayed with me all of these years. This morning, we're going to take a short break from our sermon series on the Ten Commandments, and we're going to focus on another topic that is very important to the church. Actually, it's, it's so important, but many pastors right now are struggling to preach on this. We're, we're, we're kind of timid right now. And I'll be honest, I'll be 100% honest with you, this topic has been on my sermon calendar for May 24th for about a year now. But the idea of canceling this sermon, the idea of just skipping it and moving on, I'm not going to lie, it's come to my mind numerous times over the last 10 weeks since we've been in quarantine. Everyone's hurting now. Everyone is struggling now. And financially, we're all kind of going through a different, difficult time. And, and nobody wants to hear a sermon on tithing right now. And over the last two weeks, though, the Lord has really repeated this to me. That the ministry of our church never closes. It hasn't closed. That our worship has not stopped. That our prayer has not stopped. Nor do our contributions stop. The church continues to do ministry, even through quarantine. I was trying to use our trials and our troubles as an excuse not to preach on this topic. Just like 
Some of us use our trials and our troubles as a reason not to give to the church right now. This is how amazing God is. God is actually today going to show us a story in the Bible that we're going to look at a church going through almost the exact same thing that we are, trials and troubles. And we're going to look at this and we're going to see, wow, God is spot on this week. As we look at our trials and troubles, and we're going to see another church with trials and troubles. Stick with me. This is going to be fun as we go through this today, okay? I'd ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to be in chapter 8 this morning in a message that I have titled, The Church of Somebody Else. For our lesson this morning to make sense, we're going to need to look at the backstory of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 first. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth, the city of Corinth, hence the name Corinthians, okay? And he's written actually four letters to them. We have two of those letters, the first, or the second, and the fourth, we have, and we call them first and second Corinthians. The city of Corinth is in a territory of Greece. Corinth is a long way away from Jerusalem. It's about 820 miles away by foot. Let me put that in perspective for you. From where we're at right now in Southern California, that would be is if you were to walk all the way to the California-Arizona border, all the way through the desert in Arizona to New Mexico, all the way through the desert of New Mexico until you get to the border of Texas. Okay, That's about 820 miles from where we're at in Southern California. You do all of that by foot. It's going to take you quite a ways. And if you can imagine, all the way over there in that time period, it's a different culture, right? It's different people who live there. Paul is a missionary, and he's bringing the gospel to people outside the city of Jerusalem, okay? So he's bringing the gospel to Gentiles. Remember, we've talked about this. Anyone who, a Gentile is simply somebody who is not a Jew, Okay? And so they're Gentiles who live out in these regions and in these towns that Paul is going to to take the gospel. And he is in Corinth, he's speaking in Corinth, and now he's writing letters back to the church that he had formed there. Now, Jerusalem is in an area, and most of the Jews live in an area, kind of the state area, it's called Palestine. That's kind of the, the hub of where a lot of the Jews and now some of the Jewish Christians live. Paul doesn't minister to these people. He is ministering to the Gentiles. In Jerusalem, you have James and John and Peter, who are the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And they are administering the gospel. They are speaking to the Christians, the Jewish Christians that are in Jerusalem. Okay, So with that, Let's talk about Jerusalem for a minute, okay? Since Christ was crucified and ascended into heaven and the church began in Jerusalem, there's a lot of people who have now turned their life to Christ. But if you remember, everyone who lives here is Jewish. So some people who have come to follow Christ 
are walking away from their families, their brothers, sisters, moms, dads, maybe their friends, their neighbors. And so the, the Jewish population starts to become very, very hostile to the Jewish Christians in this area. They start to despise the Christians in this area. There's a lot of animosity towards the Christians now in Jerusalem. Some of the Christians actually left the area. They left Jerusalem. They moved into what we call the diaspora. They were dispersed into other towns on the outskirts of of Palestine in this area. Some people couldn't get out of town. And so the Christians, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem became very poor. And you you would have families that lived in other towns that would send money to their family that still lived in Jerusalem. The Jews who lived in Jerusalem were part of society that didn't really have much. The Jewish authorities became very hostile to the Jewish Christians. They cut off any sort of government assistance that they may have had. If you you can imagine that you can't find work in town because of your faith. People know, oh, you're following the way, you're following Christ, no work for you. Or maybe you're a vendor. People won't buy your fruits and your vegetables and your lambs now because of your faith. You're certainly not going to get a government check now every month because of your faith. So the people in Jerusalem, the Christians in Jerusalem, are poor. And there's a lot of poor in this area. And James and Peter and John recognize this. Now, when Paul starts his ministry to the Gentiles, and Paul starts going uh, up, up the northern area of Palestine and in through modern-day Turkey and Ephesus and then down through Greece and, and Macedonia and, and, and into Corinth, the leaders in Jerusalem, James, Peter, and John, they make a request of Paul. They say, Paul... Remember the poor. As you're on your travels, remember those here in Jerusalem. Remember the poor. That sets up, and it leads us now to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul had started a church in the city of Corinth. And once the church got to a point where it was self-sustaining, Paul continued on his journeys. And he went and started churches elsewhere. And he continued to minister and bring the gospel to other people in other cities. And and Paul had had written letters back to the churches that he had had planted and he had visited and, and he had talked to and he was giving them direction through his letters. And now Paul is, he's in another town and he is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians, okay? About a year before this moment, he had written the letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul had been there in Corinth when the Corinthians started this initiative. They started a process of giving to the poor in Jerusalem. 
Paul has been to a lot of his different churches that he has planted. He's been to a lot of the different ministries that he's been part of. And everyone that he goes to, he talks to them about remembering the poor, of collecting an offering to be sent to the, to the poor in Jerusalem so that the church in Jerusalem can continue ministry. I want you to understand the reason that this offering is being taken among different churches. It's not so much a missions offering entirely per se. It is, it's so the church can continue doing ministry. Yes, it's being taken from one church and it's being, being, it's going to help another area, but it is all to do ministry. Paul starts off by telling the Corinthians that the churches in Macedonia, which is north of Corinth, Paul is saying, hey, I've been there to Macedonia, and these churches here have already been given to the offering. They have been giving into this collection. Let's pick up the action here. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're starting in verse number 2. Paul writes this. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they also are filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They did even more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. There's an amazing point here in verse number two, and, and it's the point that's really been heavy on my heart for the last two to three weeks. And it's really the reminder of why I need to preach on this topic today of tithes and offerings. Paul told the church in Corinth that the church in Macedonia, the churches there, had been tested by many troubles. Does that sound familiar? to us at all, right now in our modern day church, I would say that people in our church are being tested by many troubles. Just as families right now are being tested with many troubles. Some of us have lost jobs because of the coronavirus and because of our quarantine. Some of us have lost fellowship with one another. Some of us have lost loved ones because of this virus. And some of us have lost hope. It is a time right now that we are going through trials and troubles. Christians all over the world right now are being tested by many troubles. And although America is a first world nation, we're certainly poorer than we were three and four months ago. Some of us don't have jobs right now, or, or, or maybe your 401k has dropped, or your savings has, has dropped. I recognize that we have troubles and I recognize that we have trials, but I also recognize, and I hope that you do also, 
that our obedience does not come with a pause button. We're never given the opportunity not to be obedient. Paul said that the church in Macedonia, they not only gave what they could afford, but they gave more. And they did it out of their own free will. And the, the church in Macedonia, they actually begged to give money to Paul, who was going back to take it to the church in Jerusalem. Now, I'll be 100% honest with you. Over the last two years of this, this church coming together every Sunday morning, I have never had anyone come up to me and just drop on their knees and beg me. Just beg, please take this money, please. Never has happened. The church in Macedonia wanted so desperately to participate that their desperation, their enthusiasm shocked Paul. See, their generosity, it showed Paul the growth of the churches in Macedonia. See, our generosity, it shows our spiritual growth. Christians rarely begin their walk with Jesus giving 10%. 10% of their income to the Lord. Sometimes they'll, they'll throw in a buck or two when the plate comes by on a Sunday morning, or they'll go into their app and they'll put in a couple of bucks here and there. But it takes discipline to create a regular systematic, planned direction of tithing and giving to God. It's not something that, let's face it, some who are early in their Christian walk, it's just, it's not a, that important yet, right? Tithing to the church is a maturity marker in our Christian walk. I want you to see this. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time, you can find on our website, parisvalleycc.com. Go about halfway down the page, you'll see sermon notes. You can print those out and follow along with us. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. Ungenerous Christians are stunted souls. Ungenerous Christians are stunted souls. As a new Christian or even, even a seasoned Christian... We can only grow in our walk with Christ before our personal limits on obedience become a barrier to our walk. Some may have been going to church for 20 years, maybe some for 20 months. Maybe you're new and you've been here for 20 weeks. But when it comes to that moment when the, when the offering plate comes by, objections start to come to our mind very quickly. Some people say, well, I, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough money. I can't give to the church. That shows that we have our financial priorities out of place and in the wrong spot. See, it means that we're not following God's prescription for our finance. God gives us direction of our finance. It, it, he tells us to bring your first fruits. To God. What that, what that means is when you get paid, the first thing that we give to God is His portion. We give His tithe instead of giving to God a small percentage of what is left over. God's prescription says, 
Give me my cut first, and then you're going to manage off of the other 90%. See, we always have something to give to God, because if God is getting the first of our harvest, if he's getting the first of our check, if he's getting the first of our time, there's always something for him. We can never say, I don't have anything for God, because if we had anything, that means we had something of God's. When we're using the excuse of, I don't have enough money to give to the church, we've created a barrier between our hearts and the next step closer to Christ because we've excused away obedience. What about this one? I don't have to give money or a tithe to the church because somebody else will. Somebody else. Look, you watch that plate and you see a lot of other people that that put something in that plate. Somebody else will take care of it. I'll tell you, if we have, that's about the numbers, if we have 15 to 20% of our church that gives anything at all. And then about 5% of the church that actually is obedient in tithing, then ministry suffers. The church can't do what it needs to do to fulfill its obligation to the community and to bring others to Christ. I have never been to a church that had assigned parking for a guy named somebody else. Especially in a church our size, there is no somebody else. We're not a somebody else church. We're not. We're a obedient church. As a church, we are to be obedient. As individuals, we are to be obedient. It's not uncommon for a church our size, or really a church of of any size, to have people who will pass the offering plate to somebody else. Even people who will regularly volunteer for for everything. Maybe they they come and participate in in Bible studies on a regular basis, and and they'll show up to to ministry events. They'll they'll even lead groups. Maybe they're they're there to to help on a a festival event or or a fundraiser. They want to be so involved, but their obedience to the tithe remains at zero. For the leaders of this church... Our desires for all of our leaders are one step short of a requirement to tithe. To tithe to give of our 10%. But that's for good reason. It's that because as as leadership of the church, we need to be a good example. And if you're somebody who's been here at our church for, for quite a while now, you are a good example or you are an example to somebody who has been here for a short amount of time. We are all examples to somebody new. Being this example is so important. I want to show you uh, what Paul says about this. We're back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're in verse number 6. Paul writes this. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, 
I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it to the eagerness of other churches. Watch this. Here's the principle. Point number two in your notes this morning is this. Nothing inspires a good endeavor as much as a good example. Paul told the church in Corinth that he wants them to see the churches in Macedonia as an example. Look at them. Look at what they're doing. I want you to use them as an example and follow their steps of generosity. And Paul tells them that as a church in Corinth, I recognize some things. You have some amazing traits. He says, I recognize that you and your church, you have some amazing speakers in your church. And in our context, that would translate into, you know, hey, you've got some great Sunday school teachers. You've got some great people who could lead men's ministry. You've got some great people who could lead women's ministry. And Paul goes on to say, as a church, you're excelling in your knowledge. For us, that translates into, hey, as a church, you've got some people here who really study their Bible. You have some people here who are asking some really good questions. You have some people here who are diving into training on ministry grid or are diving into Bible studies on Right Now Media. You have some people who are learning about Jesus. And Paul says, I recognize that. I appreciate that. And then Paul goes on to say, he says, wow, you have an amazing enthusiasm. I can see it. He says, and then for us, we can say, hey, you know what? Who are these people who are showing up at all of our events who are saying, Pastor, pick me. Pick me. What can I do? What can I do to help spread the message? What can I do to help reach others? That's the enthusiasm that Paul is talking about. And then Paul says this. He says, and I can see, wow, I can see how you're excelling in your love for us. Paul and his companions are off in another city right now, right? And so he's writing them a letter, and he's saying, I can tell how much you love us because we read your letters. As your leaders in the church, we can tell you're excelling at taking care of your pastors. And here at our church, you might be somebody who, I'll be honest, some of you call me every single week, and I love talking to you. I do, and I thank you for that. And you might be somebody who, who maybe you call David, Maybe you, maybe you text uh, Isaiah and, and you encourage your, your leaders and say, you know what, I'm just praying for you. And I'll be honest with you, our church is good at that. And I recognize that. And I thank you for that. But I want you to see what Paul says next. He said this, but I also want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. Did you see he calls giving a gracious act? The Greek word used here for the word grace, I can't pronounce it because we don't have the sound in English, but it would, it would be uh, like, like charisse, like cherish, uh, but, but that C-H, it makes that guttural sound that we don't really use much of in English. But it is a word that translates into our English word for charity. It's rather a root word of our English word for charity. 
What do you do with grace? You give it, right? It's charity. It's assisting. It's helping. It's noticing that that you can give this, this joyous, gracious act. You can give to others by giving charity. You can give in, in worship. Look at some of the largest charities in America. There's the United Way, there's Red Cross, there's Salvation Army, there's ASPCA, Cure International. Do you know why they're referred to as charities? Because you give to them, and then they give to others. But what do they give? They give grace. The United Way, it gives grace in in health and education to many people. You look at the, the ASPCA, they give the grace, they give grace of life to animals. Right? You look at the Salvation Army and they give grace to those who are coming out of their rock bottom. And Paul says, I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. He says, I want you to give and recognize when you give, you are giving grace. It is a gracious act. In this church, I would honestly love to be able to change our, change the way we speak about the offering. I'd like to see us no longer say things like, oh, I, I brought some money for the offering plate today. I got a couple of bucks, grabbed them on my way out the door. Or, oh, I'm writing a check out to the church for my offering. Or, or I'm depositing my offering into the church's account by text message. I would like to hear us say, I am giving grace to God's people. Giving grace. I am giving into a ministry that teaches others about Christ. You think about it. The reason that you give to a nonprofit is because you have a connection to what they are doing, right? You give to the ASPCA because you have a connection to animals. The reason we give to God is because we have a connection to what the church is doing. And we want to see the church continue in its mission, to continue in its ministry to reach others. That's why we give grace. Some of you this morning, some of you are going to hear this message and you're going to you're going to make a decision. And you're going to make a decision to start to regularly give offerings, give tithes and offerings to the church. Some of you are right now putting a post-it note up on your computer. You're going to put it right up there. You're going to say, start offering. Start giving tithe. You're going to put it right up there on top of your computer. And I want you to see what Paul has to say about that, okay? We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 10. Paul says this, And here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago, 
Last year, you were the first ones who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness that you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Here's the principle. It's point number three in your notes this morning. Good intentions are useless if not followed with corresponding actions. We're really good at having good intentions, but sometimes our follow-through is not as passionate as our good intentions. If we're not following through, our good intentions are simply that. They're just good intentions. I'll tell you that for the last three months, even before quarantine, my gym bag has been sitting right by the door of my bedroom, and I've had some really good intentions of using it. But I haven't followed that up with any corresponding actions. My excuse is for the last 10 weeks that I couldn't go to the gym. Does that mean that I couldn't work out? Does that mean that I couldn't go outside and run and walk and exercise? No. I had good intentions, and I know that some of you right now are saying the same exact thing. How many of you have a gym membership that you're paying for that you haven't used? Perfect example of good intentions, but an area of our lives that is suffering from corresponding actions. What Paul says, he says, give from what you have. See, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 11. He says, give in proportion to what you have. Whether, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not by what you don't have. We all have something, right? We all have something to give to God. Good intentions are great, but corresponding actions are so important. I have never known, I've never read a story of somebody who came to Christ because of somebody else's good intentions. People come to Christ because of other people's corresponding actions. If the Spirit puts on your heart, we need to go and talk to somebody about Christ, you can have a good intention, but if we're not talking to them about Christ, if we're not following through with corresponding actions, then our good intentions are useless. We're to give a portion of what we have. Paul says, don't worry about what you don't have. It's not a competition. You're not worried about what somebody else has given, right? You have something that we could give to God. Don't promise God something that you don't have. God knows what you have. He knows. We give out of what we do have. Every time I preach on this topic, I hand out a chart, and I'm going to ask, that we put this up on the screen right now, and you can find this in your, in your sermon notes this morning. And what this chart is, it's a great place to start. 
If you're somebody who this morning has good intentions and now you're, you have corresponding actions, this is a great place to start. This chart will ha- help to determine, and this is what I'd like you to do with it. I'd like you to see that this chart goes, you see one, two, three, four, five percent, all the way up to 10%. 10% isn't necessarily the goal. We can go above that, right? That's our tithe. Tithe literally means 10%, but above that is offerings. But what I'm going to ask you to do is this. I'm going to ask you to find a percentage on this chart that is comfortable, a percentage that you can manage, that you talk to God about, and you give this percentage back to God for the first two months. And then you come back and you look at it. And you say, was I able to live on the rest? If you, if you say, I'm going to give God 4% of all of my income, were you able to live on the 96%? God's going to allow you to live off of that 96%. And then every three months, what I want you to do is I want you to look to increase it by half a percent. And then you come back to God and you say, okay, for three months I increased this. I'm at 4.5%. Can I give that? Now, what, what happened And you look back and you see the blessings of God. 10% is the goal. But we can give more. Those are are our offerings. You will continually hear me say this. Let's give the Lord His tithes and our offerings. That's the difference. The tithes are His. That belongs to Him. We can't give a 4% tithe. It it just doesn't work. Tithe is 10%. But we can give 4% on our way working up to a full tithe. Something we certainly can do. I'll tell you, I don't know what it is that you are receiving from this church right now. I would hope that you're receiving an opportunity to come together and and grow in Christ. I would hope that you're receiving a great chance to follow in worship. I would hope that you're receiving prayer from others in the church. I would hope that you're receiving comfort. But just like an eight-year-old boy at a birthday party, years from now, you might not even remember everything that you received from the church. Because the closer you come to Christ inside the church, the blessings become just insurmountable. You can't count the blessings that will come in your Christian walk. In 20 years from now, can you look back and count and name every specific thing that you received from the church? Maybe these blessings are so many. Years from now, you might not be able to list everything that you received from the church. But I'll tell you something really important. Even though you might not remember everything that you received, you're going to know the grace that you've given. You're going to remember, maybe not the exact amounts of every amount that you put into the Church Center app, But you'll remember, I was faithful, and I was obedient, and I had corresponding actions to my good intentions. Our church is not too far away 
from literally opening up the physical doors and welcoming everybody back. We're not far away from that. As a church, there's more to that celebration than simply coming in and seeing each other and being able to hug each other again. Part of our worship is our obedience in giving back to God. We're all going through trials. We're all going through troubling times right now. But see, that's the neat thing about why God gave us this prescription of giving. Why he says, give to me first. So that we're not giving God our leftovers or even a percentage of what's left over. When you think about it, what is it in the world that is most important? Jesus. What is it in the world that is the most important thing that we want to leave to our children? Jesus. What is it that is most important that we want to leave to our community? Jesus. How do we work to ensure that the gospel message can reach our community? We give grace. We give to others. To open the doors of our church and to open the doors of so many churches in America. Yeah, it does take funding and it does take finance. I'm going to ask you to continue to put your trust in the leaders of this church. And I ask you to continue to pray for the leaders of this church. We're proper stewards of what God has given and the grace that God has given to the church. Because everything that comes in goes to ministry in one way or another. James and John and Peter asked Paul to remember the poor. We need to make sure in our own home that we're remembering the church and its ministry to reach others for Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you this morning for everyone here. I want to thank you for everyone that, that stayed with us and didn't click off to some other website when they heard that we were talking about tithing and giving and that uncomfortable sermon that we don't want to sit through. Lord, I thank you for touching hearts this morning. And as a church, Lord, we thank you for guidance, and we thank you for leadership, and we thank you for, for keeping the eyes of this church solely focused on your work and your ministry and the vision that you have given us to reach Paris from within Paris. Lord, we know that we can't do that without your grace and your blessing. Lord, I ask your hand of comfort upon families today as we celebrate Memorial Day. There's so many families who have lost somebody for the sake of our country. And Lord, I just pray that you comfort hearts as we remember. Lord, there's a lot of people here that we know have maybe lost loved ones to, to this virus. 
and we know that it's a difficult time right now. And Lord, we just pray that you'll allow us as a church to reach out and to comfort those. Lord, we know that there's some here who have lost jobs. And as a church, we do what we can to help and to build up a benevolence fund so that we could help others in our community. And Lord, I ask for you to please to bless those in this church. Bless those financially who bless this church and bless your ministry. Lord, we know that that you bless obedience. And I pray, Lord, that there are some here this morning who will take that next step in their Christian growth and in their spiritual walk and break down barriers that have kept us from being obedient and let us grow closer to you through obedience to the tithe. Lord, be with us as we continue to worship. Be with us as we continue to pray for each other and let us celebrate in moments as we come together in fellowship online. And Lord, I pray that you will just bless this church, that you will walk into the doors of this church before we even get there and open it up and, and, and just make it a clean, safe space that is a blessing to your congregation, Lord. We pray for the other churches that are in town, the other churches that are, that are celebrating you, the other churches that are ready to open. Lord, thank you. With this, we praise you and we love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.